electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Cantonier with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are off the morning low, uh, but red amid signs of a more aggressive Russian assault on Ukraine. Bonds rally. Ten-year gets to 171. That's about a five-week low. Oil at 100. You got the State of the Union address tonight. We are going to begin, though, with market volatility and the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Ukrainian cities facing intense shelling as a convoy of Russian tanks heads toward Kyiv. As we said, WTI rising above 100 on concerns of supply disruptions and in the wake of sanctions imposed by Western nations against Russia in all kinds of different forms. One of those mornings, Jimmy, we might have had stocks hardened by a bond rally at one point. Not today. Well, I do think that, look, I don't think this can necessarily be an up day. But I do think that when you go down every day off of Europe, uh, the tape says, please don't fight me. But what happens is, is that individual stocks then of companies that do well rally. So you're trying to jive the incredible number from Target and the amazing comments from Brian Cornell this morning with the futures, which say, don't trust it, let's sell it. Uh, and the only group that really seems to stay down, David, you're very close to this group, is the bank group. Mm-hmm. And that just can't stay up. And that's unfortunate. Oil is the leader right now. And you really want the banks to behave. But the flight to quality is hurting them. And it doesn't make sense that you should be owning J.P. Morgan if you think that they are involved with Europe. Right. Europe, not Russia, because they're right. really Europe. not. City is the only financial institution that has any real exposure in terms of Russia. Well, MasterCard and Visa. Okay, sorry. Because there are 18 million credit cards. Good point. And about 250 million debit cards. And both those companies have said uh, yet, basically. They're not Mm going to let the Russians kick them around. You know, it's one by one. We're seeing who is with Putin and who's not. I need to see Italy fade because Italy is probably the most aligned with Russia before. The sanctions are as deep and powerful as any that have ever I've never seen been imposed. Like um, even in the course of just a handful of days, they've gone from what seemed to be fairly strict to incredibly. Right. It is cutting off and potentially choking the Russian economy, but it is also going to have an inflationary impact, uh, these, uh, this horrible incursion. Uh, you know, wheat obviously is up. Ukraine is a huge producer of wheat. Aluminum is up, I believe. Right. Um, don't forget titanium, where Russia controls, what, 55% of the market? No, that goes into a lot of airplanes. So well, if they were to try to any, do anything like along the lines of reverse sanctions, not that they would, given the state of their economy, that could have an impact. But overall... But remember, uh, Boeing has done, I see, I, yeah. I'd say the accumulation of things that they've done wrong, but one of them isn't titanium. They've stockpiled it since 2014. That's, that's smart. It's good so to hear. But overall, this idea that the commodities complex is moving up, uh, that inflationary pressures are building, if right. anything else. You know, what Again, back to what we focus on here, what will that mean for the markets? Uh, does it mean the Fed has got to even be stronger in some way? I know yesterday you were sort of 
wavering on 50 basis points in March, but there are those who think it's going to have to be 50 basis points in March in some way. Well, I mean, I I would Um, say that, I mean, Carl, you can see this 10 years you referenced. If the Fed goes 50 basis points, I mean, we are going to have, we're going toward the fabled inverted yield curve, which therefore means we're going to have a recession, which is what, by the way, a lot of stocks have been saying. So it's not revelatory, so to speak. Although an inverted yield curve shouldn't be good for the banks, right? At that point, yeah, but not if there's, not if the economy's bad. Right. I mean, you don't want credit losses to come back. Holy cow. That is the problem. Um, There's the 10-year, as we mentioned. uh, But bets on a 50 at March have basically come back down to zero. Yes, because I think everybody feels that this is, that what's going on in Europe is, is a way to slow the economy. Now, look, I don't want to be too contrary to this, but the U.S. economy is still red hot, and it's not like people aren't shopping at Target because of what they see. Uh, what they see is courage on the side of, of uh, a group of people who we all should have realized were courageous, and we see a, an enemy, a worldwide enemy, an isolated worldwide enemy. Uh, increasingly, people just say Putin is crazy. No, it's isolated in, in sort of a North Korea-like fashion. Uh, very very good even, analysis. Uh, P- Peter Bukvar this morning pointing out that even if it can be produced in Russia at this point, Maersk no longer going to do deliveries. Right. It's it's locked. It's well, locked in the country. We do have, fortunately, we have Mike Worthlin who can talk about, I mean, can Russia even produce as much oil? Uh, Michael Gordon is the best war reporter I've ever seen who... Uh, other than Dexter Filkin, is very good, but uh, who writes for the Wall Street Journal? He says, "Look, you know, you that Putin thought that they'd be welcomed. That Putin thought that there was a vacuum where the Russians would step in and the chaos would stop." Yeah, and David, that's uh, you know, you can be more, you can speak more free speech in Ukraine if you're Russian than you can in Russia, without a doubt. Without a doubt, we see that every day with protesters in Russia being removed by the police there. Um, I mean, you, you said something quickly, but, it, you know, it's not something we should make light of, which is Putin's mental state. Yes. Comes up all the time. All the time. And you hear very different things about uh, people's view of it. But I will tell you, when it comes to even uh, our markets, uh, some of the big hedge funds I know are employing people to do behavioral analysis, of course, they of are. Putin. Sure. To try to get a sense as to is... Well, Where does they, he really stand? Now, we also know the CIA has obviously most likely been doing that and trying very hard to get a sense of that, because to your point, there are questions about how rational he was to begin with in terms of launching this invasion and what his expectations were. And then we can all see how he berates his generals, how he sits at those tables where he's 40 yards away from people. Yeah. I mean, there's concern. There's concern. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a belief. Now, remember that something again from Mr. Gordon, but the Russians raised Grozny, uh, 200,000 people. Uh, it was considered to be the most destroyed city on Earth, according to the UN. This is the Teshin, uh incursion that Putin led. Uh, but that, uh, Grozny's not Kiev. And now, it's, uh, I know that Neil Ferguson said, just because of Facebook, don't think that the Russians will uh, be deterred. I'm gonna disagree with that. Facebook being a metaphor for, you know what? Everyone's watching, and you just don't, wage a war and then have a war of occupation with everyone watching. This is not 1942 where nobody knew what was happening. Uh, we, we knew right away this morning uh, some of these missile attacks on Yarkiv. I mean, almost instantly. It's pretty amazing yeah. to watch. Uh, when we come back this morning, Chevron's Mike Worth, as we said, is going to join us here at Post 9. We'll talk about Russia, Ukraine, oil prices, and some fresh guidance on the buyback and CapEx. Take a look at futures, as we said, off of the early morning lows. A Squawk on the Street continues in a minute.
Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Well, oil prices, as you've seen this morning, continue to climb. This as Russia's invasion of Ukraine intensifies, of course, prompting fears of supply disruptions. Joining us now to discuss that and a whole lot more, in fact, ahead of their investor meeting today is Chevron's chairman and CEO, Mike Worth. Nice to have you here. Nice to have you in person sitting at the end of our desk. And I know you're going to begin your investor day right here at the NYC soon. Um, you know, let's start on the main message. I mean, oil prices are near 100. Uh, you're generating an enormous amount of free cash. I would expect one of the key questions, Mike, would be, okay, you can easily cover your dividend. You can cover your expected buyback at this point. You can cover your CapEx and have a lot of money left over. What are you going to do with it? Well, the headline really is we're returning more cash to shareholders. Uh, we've announced an increase in our guidance for our share repurchase program to 5 to $10 billion. Uh, we expect to distribute 50% more cash to shareholders this year than we did last year. We're simply a better company than we were just a few years ago. Last year was the highest free cash flow in the history of our company by 25%. We've been around for 142 years. Last year was the highest free cash flow by 25%. This year could be even better. And, and yesterday, of course, we announced the acquisition of the, the country's premier renewable fuels provider. So yeah. uh, we are, uh, you know, we're... we're, we're committed to growing the company and returning more cash to shareholders. All right, we talked about that renewables deal. We want to talk more about overall your efforts to reduce carbon. But when you come to that, you know, you talk about your investment program that's at least 20% more capital efficient than it was pre-COVID. Balance sheet, of course, net debt ratio comfortably below 20% right now. So what did you start doing differently in the last two years that you weren't doing previously? Well, it's a company full of engineers. As we went through the pandemic, we had to pull capital spending down. Uh, nobody knew how things were going to unfold. As you go back two years ago, oil was negative at one point in time. Our people continued to find ways to develop assets and run our business with more efficiency, more capital efficiency, more cost efficiency. We, we said 20% more capital efficient. We also uh, committed to reduce our unit operating costs by 10% over the next five years. So we're simply more capital and cost efficient through a lot of little things which generates more cash, again, to be returned to shareholders. So the little things, like what's a little thing? The rate of drilling productivity. In the Permian, we can drill more feet per rig today than we ever have in the past. Our ability to complete wells 
in the Permian. We can get uh, more completions done in the same unit of time than we ever have in the past. And so it's all about uh, continuing to find efficiency in, in everything that we do. Smart engineers applying technology, particularly digital technology and information technology, which continues to enable uh, change in our, our industry. And uh, it's, it's been the history for more than a century of listing here on the NYSE. We're celebrating 101 years right. uh, being listed here. And, uh, and we look forward to uh, a long, long run into the future. F finally, when it comes to oil prices, uh, Brent nominal prices average 75 over the next five years. This is if they do. You say you could increase the dividend at higher rates, buy back more than 25% of your shares outstanding? That's correct. We've got uh, upside leverage to oil price. We don't, uh, in our base uh, planning scenario, assume high prices. We actually plan for low prices. Uh, but in a period of time where prices would be lower than what we see today, but for five years at $75, we could have the capability to buy back a quarter of the company over just five years. Now, Mike, one of the things that uh, is fascinating to me is the discussion about patriotism and production. Yesterday, uh, Mr. Moncrief, who was just fantastic, was talking about how, uh, it's Devin, that maybe if the president asks, they would produce more. The president then issues a statement saying he is speaking to the uh, oil people. What did you say when the, since you're the largest, what did you say to the president? Well, I haven't spoken personally to the president. Uh, we're increasing our capital spending this year by 25%. Last year, our capital budget was less than $12 billion. We're over 15 this year. Uh, we're increasing our activity in the Permian Basin. Uh, we announced guidance today uh, that increases our expected production out of the Permian by 2025 to more than a million barrels a day. Uh, so we are investing in this country, we are investing to increase production, and we're doing so at a greater rate than we have over right. the last Let's years. talk about investing uh, in, uh, strategically worldwide. Uh, the pipelines are pretty maxed for natural gas out of the Permian. Uh, what are you gonna be able to do to get, uh, well, everyone seems to want to get more natural gas to Europe, but we can't build these ports fast enough. What happens in order to be able to take our natural gas to them? And how do we be sure we're not taking any Russian oil? Because we did take Russian oil in December. Apparently, we did not in February. How do we stop that? Well, it's a global market, so these commodities tend to, to be traded and move to the um, location where they've got the most value. So really, unless you put some sort of specific sanctions that preclude certain transactions, it's a global commodity. It's a fungible commodity. On gas, we need to permit and develop more export capacity. We've got an abundance of natural gas in this country. We can meet our needs for many decades to come. Uh, it takes years to go through the permitting and approval process and to construct a liquefied natural gas export facility. And so in the short term, there are no easy answers. In the long term, policy that supports responsible resource development in our economy is very important. Energy security and national security are linked, and I think we're reminded of that once again. You know, Moncrief's comments that Jim mentioned, part of his comment was that he was mystified that there hadn't been more of a dialogue with the White House because it might have given them some cover for shareholders who demand increased capital return. Do you share that view? And is there something the president could say tonight at the State of the Union that would address that? Well, uh, new administrations typically take some time to get their feet on the ground. Uh, we did not have a lot of outreach and interaction in the early months of this administration. And in fact, some of the rhetoric uh, and some of the priorities uh, 
we're not supportive uh, of, of this industry. Uh, we're open to a balanced dialogue. I think a balanced, pragmatic, pragmatic approach is what this country needs. Certainly what our industry looks for. We can responsibly develop energy resources in this country. We're committed to lowering carbon. We're committed to protecting the environment. And we want to work with this administration and any other administration as we have over our history to achieve the goals that we share. And in fact, we have much more in common than, than I think we have uh, points of difference. Uh, uh, you're not the president, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but the president seems to want to increase oil that the Saudis pump. He's been no friend of yours. He doesn't want to increase production here. Now, does it make sense to encourage production here and stop urging and egging on the Saudis to produce more? Well, our country is, is blessed with a tremendous resource endowment and companies that have technical skills and talent second to none in the world. And we can, we're an important part of the economy of this country. We're important for geopolitical security. All that I think this industry asks for is to have a balanced conversation, a fair dialogue about how we can contribute uh, to the economic growth, to employment, uh, to the vitality of industries in, in this country, and to work to help protect the environment and address the challenges of climate. Well, let's talk a bit about that. Um, uh, you know, reducing carbon, something we've talked with you about uh, previously. Of course, you do have aspirations to get scope one, scope two, I think, down to neutral in the next 28 years at this point. Uh, but Australia, which you mentioned a number of times, Mike, doesn't seem to be going overly well. Um, you're going to buy more than 5 million greenhouse gas offsets, reports Bloomberg, after the Gorgon project missed targets to inject captured carbon dioxide underground. What's going on there? So we developed a very large liquefied natural gas export facility in Australia. Actually took decades between the original discovery until the project was completed and started up. As part of that, the gas that comes out of the ground has naturally occurring CO2 in the field reservoir, which we agreed we would remove from the gas stream and re-inject. There have been some startup issues associated with that, nothing that is insurmountable, nothing that we don't deal with elsewhere in the world. And as we've, uh, we've missed a couple of the, the deadlines for storage quantities, and so rather than uh, just let that stand, we're going to the markets to procure offsets to account for that. But this is a project that, that will work. The storage there is, is functioning today. We've stored over 6 million tons of CO2 already. It's the largest on-purpose CO2 capture and storage project on the planet. And it's functioning well, and, and over the life of that project, it will secure uh, tens of millions of tons of CO2. Right. I mean, to put it in perspective for our viewers, though, if we're going to reach sort of the goals of Paris by 2050, we've got to be storing somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 10 billion tons of carbon a year. We're at about 50 million total, so we've got to up it by a hundredfold. Do you think that that's something that can actually occur? Well, David, it's a massive, massive challenge. It's technically feasible. We've captured CO2 and re-injected it for decades. Right. Uh, but to right. do it at, to help with oil production, you know, in to fact, to help with oil production, but also to store it. At this scale, we need uh, a policy framework that enables it. We need market incentives. We need a regulatory framework that deals with long-term liability. We need, need to be able to get permits in order to uh, build the pipelines and the capture facilities. 
uh, and we need to mobilize massive amounts of capital in order to do this. So it is a, it is. You a, need a huge participation from governments around the world is really what right. you're saying, we to put a, an effective price on carbon that you can believe in, not to mention this pipeline system, which could be incredibly costly. We need a partnership and a balanced approach to doing this. Any reasonable uh, analysis suggests there's a big place for carbon capture and storage in addressing the greenhouse gas challenge. Our industry has the capability. Really what you're talking about doing, we take molecules from inside the earth, bring them to the surface, turn them into a usable form and get them into the economy today. We're talking about taking molecules out of the air, moving them through infrastructure, putting them back beneath the earth in storage containers that already exist. Uh, it's all technically doable. We need a, a policy framework and a, uh, a financial framework that enables that uh, to happen. But just one quick one. What do you think about companies, oil companies that cooperate with Putin? We like them, we hate them, we out them. What do we do? Well, you know, the resources in the world are laid down in um, first world countries and developing countries, democracies, countries that have imperfect systems uh, of government. And uh, we try to respect uh, the host governments wherever we work. This is a tragic situation we see unfolding in Russia. I know a number of other companies have had to take very difficult decisions. We have very little exposure to Russia uh, as a company. Uh, but these are these are very difficult decisions uh, to be made in a circumstance like and this. And what's it all going to mean for oil prices? Well, in the short term, uh, I think the anxieties uh, about supply have continued to keep this pressure on prices. We don't actually see signs that there are physical supply shortages appearing yet. But inventories were low coming into this. Prices were rising coming into this. And the fact that geopolitical risk now shows up in a risk premium in oil markets tells you we're in a pretty tight market once again as opposed to a few years ago when missiles flew into Saudi Arabia and uh, the price really didn't respond. And so it's a, it's a tight market. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see that until the situation in Ukraine uh, stabilizes and is ultimately hopefully resolved with uh, as little loss of life as, as possible. Yeah, we all hope that. Mike, we certainly appreciate your taking time with us. you got to go ring the bell and get ready for your investor day. And Thank congratulations, you. of course. Thank you. 101 Thank you. years, Chevron. Mike Worth. Great to be with you. Coming up this morning, we're going to get Kramer's Mad Dash. We'll count down to that opening bell in just about eight minutes. Take one more look here at Futures. We'll talk a bit more about oil. Got an OPEC Plus meeting and more this week. More Squawk on the Street when we return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We had five 1% swings in yesterday's action alone. Uh, looks like today might be a little less volatile, but of course it is still early. VIX remains above 31. 
and the 10-year after hitting 171, almost back to 178. The opening bell is a few minutes away. And a programming note, be sure to watch CNBC's special coverage of the State of the Union address tonight, anchored by Shepard Smith. That begins at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's squeeze in a mad dash before we get to an opening bell here on this Tuesday at the NYC. You had a uh, work day on last night on Mad Money. Bushree, we had this is the best quarter in five years, okay? A total reacceleration of orders, 17, 18, now 22%. A suite of product that everybody wants. This is an example of what's the underlying tension in this market. Here's a stock that fell 100 points because of the shrinking multiple because of the Fed, right? Raising rates. And then suddenly you get the quarter. And the quarter's remarkable. So what do you do, David? Do you sell it because Powell's going to speak, or do you buy it because it's so low? Uh, I don't know. What do you do, Jim? You buy it. Okay. Because what you say is there are going to be winners and losers at a certain point, and Workday is a winner. So uh, people are kind of shocked that it was so good. They, this suite of product that they have, which is human capital and finance, is extraordinary, and it's in the cloud. And, David, it, it uh, presages, don't forget, tonight, Salesforce. Salesforce is tonight. Right, yeah. And J.P. Morgan recommended it tonight. You know, they said, listen, buy it. I, that's a guy who's got putting his head right in the lion's den, huh? Recommends it on the day that they're reporting? Yeah. Kind of gutsy. No? What do you think? Oh, uh, come on, man. What? You're close I, to, I your, it's close to that company. I think anybody. Salesforce is going to be good. I'm worried about this one mule soft division, but I, I, I think Salesforce is going to be good tonight. All right? There, I stuck my neck out. All right. Not the first time, won't be the last. Don't you PayPal me, Parker. <laughs> Let's get the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange. As the big board is, we said earlier, it is Chevron celebrating over 100 years on the NYSE at the NASDAQ Global Life Sciences Company, Zimby, uh, celebrating its spinoff from Zimmer Biomet. We're going to keep our eye on all of this, Jim. Uh, and sort of the impact on the consumer, certainly something Brian Cornell addressed uh, earlier today on Squawk. That was a very encouraging interview. You know, Brian Cornell's become, out of nowhere to some degree, well, he's been working there full time. He's now the dean. He's the spokesperson. And he made me feel like, look, no matter what you throw at the consumer, you put some higher rates on. The consumer's liquid, the consumer wants to spend. Now, I come back and say, yeah, they want to spend at Target because you've got great brands. You've got the CVS tie-up, the Ulta tie-up. And by the way, I don't know, you know, when I shop at Target, David, it's a place that's got big stores. It's got a circle on it. It's like a, you know, bullseye. Thank you. Um, but when I shop there, I buy their brands. Why? Because they're cheaper and better. It's kind of like Costco, Dave. When you go to Costco and you get the Kirkland brand. So why wouldn't I just go to Costco? Well, because Kirkland brands like for toilet paper. Oh, they have different things at Target? I'm yep. just teasing. I've been to a Target. He knows yeah, what Target yeah, is. Yeah, I have, actually. Lately, they're extraordinary. Yeah. I think these versions, these brands that they have are, you know, I went spent a little too much money at Target when I was down in Delray with my wife. Mm-hmm. I said, why are you buying these shoes? I said, you see the price? I said, well, you bought their shoes hideous. at Target? They're hideous. Yeah, well, I said, the, the price. Why did you buy hideous shoes? Well, I wanted boat shoes because I was going on somebody's yacht. <laughs> Usually right. they make right. you take your shoes off. Not, no, these shoes were allowed on the yacht. Oh, they were? Yeah. Right. Well, I bought them. Well, 225 is going to be awfully close to the best levels of the year. Uh, Cornell, specifically on Squawk today, did talk about the consumer's ability to handle inflation. Take a listen. 
we're all dealing with inflation. And we've made a commitment to make sure we continue to offer great value to our guests. But we're seeing inflation both from an international standpoint, but also right here with domestic goods. Um, so we recognize there's still challenges with cost inflation. The supply chain bottleneck, it's going to take time for that to unwind. So we've shown an ability, and we certainly demonstrated in the fourth quarter, to be agile and flexible and make sure that we can deliver great value and also make sure that we deliver profitability. Uh, he did say that turnover, employee turnover, is now lower than it was pre-COVID. Interesting. And Jim, as for the industry overall, we finally are getting retail inventories back to pre-COVID levels, yes. which means they can discount if they want. Right. Uh, they don't have to be very promotional. Now, one thing I was amazed, this was just this crux moment where Becky asked him about raising how much people are paid. And basically what he's saying is, I want dignity. I want dignified. Uh, I want employees who feel empowered. I want employees to feel good. I, this is where I think Jay Powell is struggling with. And David, you know I feel that Jay Powell is secretly a person who wants the working person to make more money. That we have to encourage, Don't we as a nation. Been made have, it that big a secret, but sorry, go ahead, yes. Well, we have encouraged nation. The idea that a working person at Target should make enough money to be able to feed family and have a, 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 you know, a good life. Right. And that's what, that's what, you know, Brian's not sitting there trying to say, you know what? We're going to penny pinch. He's not, he's not Potter. Uh, no, he's no, not. No, he's not Potter. He's, he's bailing. Not. He's yes. bailing. And they're talking about what wages that could get up above $20 an hour. Well, why not? Why, not? why shouldn't the American working person Without who works a at a registered Target make a decent amount of money? It's a hard job. No, it's listen, somewhat that has a thankless been a positive job. aspect of our current economic environment. Now, many would say, well, inflation, of course, has that pernicious effect of, of, of negating those gains for the average worker. But wages are up and up sharply. And it's not just Target. Amazon obviously will tell you over and over again what they're paying people. Uh, because they are paying them uh, closer and closer to that number as well. Well, I just think that we have to keep track of the fact that when we hear about wage inflation, we should be a little more, Carl, just a little more um, deferential to the American worker. It's like, wow, they're making too much money? Sorry. When we see what the CEOs make, I think that there's this, we don't want two classes in this country. We don't. I'm sorry well, to be well, so. Well, well, I'm not being we've had that, and it continues I mean, to be com- the case for a long time. And by the way, I would point out over the last two years, most likely, I think the the benefits of the Fed's incredibly large balance sheet have probably gone to the top echelon. Well, did you not think that the mayor talking about compassionate capitalism it was interesting? Was a yes, Mayor Adams yesterday. It was yes. visionary. Yes, it was really an incredible conversation about the need for everybody. I was to happy to hear the words capitalism. That was good. Oh, he's very pro cap. He is. I know. It makes him maybe an enemy here in New York. You've got to be careful. Watch no, your back. I think I thought he acquitted himself incredibly well. Um, guys, I wanted to talk lucid if I could for a moment because it's going lucid. to be down sharply. Uh, and yeah, not going they, to. It is down 18%. How's that lockup coming to? Now, lucid, mm, remember, still one of the there. most successful SPAC deals. So, so few are trading above $10, the price at which obviously you could have redeemed a long time ago before they even did their deal. Uh, lucid obviously has uh, has been a great success, but it is down dramatically, 38% so far this year. Um, the company reported earnings. The main point of concern appears to be the outlook for 2022 production. Yeah. Uh, now a range, guys, of 12 to 14,000 vehicles, mm. reflecting what they say is the extraordinary supply chain and logistics challenges we've encountered and our unrelenting focus on delivering the highest quality products 
They do remain confident in their ability to capture the tremendous, what they call, opportunities ahead, Jim, given their technology leadership and demand for their cars. But well, that's not a lot of cars. No. If I, were, if I were a Ford Motor, I'd be selling that Rivian, by the way. I mean, I think that these, these stocks are a little overinflated. The, the, actually, Lucid was, I'm going to put it in the disaster camp because well, they didn't like the carpet, didn't like the rug. See how few cars they sold in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Uh, you and I have both talked to Mr. Rawlinson uh, in like days him. past. Uh, we have a quick uh, soundbite from him from the earnings conference Good call. Man. Take a listen. We have a, an unerring focus on addressing some of the supply chain challenges. Uh, we see them to continue for the next few months, but we see uh, a, a, an uptake in the second half of the year. So we're, we're really optimistic uh, that we're going to be able to resolve these. They're optimistic. Um, it's good to be optimistic. Churchill yeah. always liked that strategy. Churchill uh, was the actual uh, acquiring. That's why uh, I mentioned it. Because I like remember that. It was, God, you're so good. Really? How do you do that? Yeah, uh, you know, it's a talent. Michael Klein, it's of course, one of the kings of back made an enormous no, amount of money with this deal at Churchill. Of course, Churchill one, two, three, four. I forget which. I think this was Churchill four, right? I think it was. Yeah. But no, it's no, one of the few SPACs that's that. still trading above 10, but well, well below. But you notice, exactly. Carl, there are, there's some of the uh, pandemic stocks are doing a little better. Now, I think that the Zoom shortfall was overrated as a shortfall because they are growing 11, 12 percent. It's a little expensive. DocuSign making a bit of a comeback. DocuSign mentioned positively on the Zoom call. Everyone's written off every one of these stocks. But again, we come back to stocks that have been crushed to levels that you just say, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to take a flyer. Yeah, uh, the Zoom guidance uh, was a little bit light. Uh, right. For, uh, they're looking for Q187 cents, streets at 103. A city cuts their target, uh, I don't know, 10 bucks down to 139. Right. Reiterates are neutral today. But I think people are really struggling. They don't feel like they can buy stocks because it's a column 40 miles long headed toward Ukraine and then uh, toward Kiev. And then there are other people who say, you know what, if they stop that column, uh, the world's going to change. So I think that there are a lot of people who say, you know what, Target gives me cover to buy stocks. Workday gives me cover for tech. Uh, the only thing that doesn't have any cover are the banks. And I don't know what to say about the banks. I really don't. Other than the fact that most of them are completely uninvolved. And after every one of these European downturns, our banks come out stronger. But nobody cares because they're such easy dominoes to knock over. So you're saying longer term, it's another share gain for American banks yes. in Europe? I'd buy every one of those stocks. Every one that we're showing, I would buy. And by the way, I'm listening, anxious to hear more about Citi. Yeah, well, you're going to get them uh, because tomorrow is Citi's Investor Day. Uh, Jane Frazier, who's been in the job a year, I believe almost to the day. She's probably ready to start talking to the media. Uh, we'll be talking, uh, you know, not overshadowed, but certainly, as we pointed out earlier, City, one of the few larger banks in this country that has any real exposure to Russia, given they were trying to get out City's of global branch, franchise. Right? Yeah, they are. They continue to be. Yes, that's right. But they may be kind of stuck with it, uh, which is one reason why we'll see. Um, but we'll, we'll, you know, we're uh, the investor community obviously focused on a lot more than that in terms of what the plan is. They've already announced quite a few significant right. things that have pared down the overall footprint of the company. But the book value is so high there that you'd have to think that they could, if they got permission to buy back stock, to buy back. They would do, I know. Well, the the question is, can you earn your cost of capital, right? I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry to be, I don't don't want to be so exhausted by City, but people who own the stock have certainly not had a good run. 
If I were J.P. Morgan, by the way, or Jamie Dimon, I'd be so angry that I said those things that he was lost his temper on the call. Start talking about fintech. Well, fintech frustrates him because he feels know, like as a government-regulated entity, he's got his hands tied in terms of doing certain things that the other insurgents uh, are, are able to yeah, do. These small companies. It was kind of like we know who they are. Who we said they are. I mean, it was one of those speeches. They are who we said they are. We know. I don't want that. I want more of a Lombardi speech. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, guys, Albertsons uh, put itself up for sale. Lack of a better oh, term. Well, that's there. already you know, just that. He came yeah. on the show uh, and he was like raving about how well the company's doing, and yeah. now it's like, hey, well, I guess it's not working. Uh, board believes the continuing strength of our business and the scale of our portfolio of assets warrants a deep and considered review of all possible paths towards maximizing value creation. Should they not come? Should not have come public. Uh, you know, usually you, you you do something like this if maybe you got a bid. You don't say you got a bid. Right. Uh, what, or you have an activist, but in this case, I guess it's just Cerberus. But it Maybe un- wants to it figure something out for like seventeen Maybe they look days. Look at what's going on at Coles. I don't hell? know, Jim. I know it's a weird one. It is very weird. It's, a it's weird very one. counterintuitive. Yes, and I want to know more. At least Coles is putting up a fight, buying back a lot of stock. I know that John Duskin issued a statement. Uh, well, and doubling the dividend. Happened. Doubling right. the dividend, yeah. and I do think that even though they may not have done that well versus twenty nineteen, they got three point four percent. Seven. They're going to put out that put up more Sephora's. So between between the capital return and some of their their guidance, uh, they do guide above. Does that take pressure off the um, whatever activist pressure? Well, I know that Duskin's already into me saying no. Uh, After initial review, we believe these disappointing results validate why Cole should engage with us to meaningfully refresh the board and evaluate credible sale offers. Nobody's ever happy. No. Everybody's unhappy. I mean, I wake up in the morning. I woke up at 3.30 and I said, I'm ready to go. (laughs) But then I realized that wasn't in keeping with it isn't in keeping with the times. It's a very anxiety-producing time. Because you forget. It isn't like you wake up and you realize that, that, that maybe there's going to be nuclear war. You wake up and you say, I can't wait to get to work. And then you say, hmm, well, maybe nuclear war. <laughs> well, nuclear war would be bad. I mean, I think, like, you know. Yeah, yeah it was kind of like. Take at least a couple of days for the markets to get through that, I think. Yeah. 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 I don't know what the Fed would do. We'll, we'll try to price when that in. What's the Fed Bad jokes. Do All right. Um, yeah. But for the time being, S&P did manage to go green uh, briefly here, and the Dow's cut its early losses down to about 80 points. Still to come this morning, we're going to talk to the former Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew, about these sanctions that have been taken against Russia and their central bank, trying to d- deny them access to dollars and yen and euro. Before we go to break, though, take a look at the bond report. We're going to get Bostic at 2 o'clock. All of that leads us to Powell the next couple of days, Wednesday and Thursday on the Hill. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here live at CME HQ with breaking news. Our February final read on market manufacturing PMI. Now, if you recall, our mid-month read was 57.5. It now moves down a tad to 57.3, and it follows sequentially a final January read at 55.5. That was the lowest level since October of 2020. We see a subtle yield curve steepening today as short maturities are finding more buying. That might say more about the Fed than it does about Ukraine and Russia. Squawk on the Street will return in two minutes. 
Let's get to Jim and stop trading. We have Domino's tonight. It's a little quizzical. Rich Allison's not been that long, is uh, retiring. Uh, this was a quarter that was a little bit light. Now, the problem, of course, is they're going up against the halcyon times of stay at home. And I don't know who can possibly do better. But I will say this. Uh, the change is, uh, to me, reflective of the fact that the company, uh, I think, is a little disappointed in how they do it. The board. Because it's been inconsistent. And they're used to Domino's consistency. But we'll find out. Because, again, it's not an easy task to come in after pandemic when you're the number one company that brings food. And I urge everyone to try Wonder Truck, Mark Lurie's business. They make uh, Bobby Flay come to my house on Saturday. Well, and not him. Similarly of. Similarly of. And you got rich tonight. And I have rich tonight. we got to find out because maybe Domino's is the right, this may be the right price. For heaven's sake, it's come down so much. But I can say that about everything. I can say that about City. You got City, Jim Frazier? Yes, tomorrow's their investor day, Jim. How about Coinbase? Ask her about Coinbase. Okay. How about Bitcoin? It's up a lot. Well, that's a concerted effort by people to keep it up. I think. Yeah, up 10K from the lows. Uh, My Ethereum's doing better. Yeah. Uh, let's get to Bob Bassani this morning. Hey, Bob. Uh, we are down, but not by much. And you can thank the commodity plays. That's what's going on. New highs all around the world in commodity stocks. Take a look at the uh, major movers here. Metals are up. So we have new highs in Freeport, McMoran, new highs in Nucor. Uh, oils are up. Uh, we have new highs, of course, in the big uh, high beta names here like Devon, of course, uh, ConocoPhillips, Chevron. Mike Worth was here this morning. Uh, tech's holding up very well since the bottom on Wednesday. Flattish right now. There's the problem, the banks. You want to see some shocking numbers here? Look at J.P. Morgan. Can you believe 52-week low in J.P. Morgan right now? And Citigroup is essentially there as well. It may be on an intraday level, not there, but it's also sitting essentially at a 52-week low. These yields moving down, and this happened even before this. In January, we were having problems with some of the banks. As for the Russian story, the Russian markets, Moscow again closed today. But London stocks are trading. Some Russian stocks are trading in London. These are London prices you're looking at. Sparebank, uh, Gazprom, Luke Oil. Look at these numbers. These are not typos. 48% decline. Again, in Gazprom, all of these stocks, 80 to 90% down. As we highlighted yesterday, Russian ETFs continue to trade here, even with parts of the market closed because there's no market opened in Moscow right now. There's the Vanek Russian ETF. That has bounced. By the way, that opened at $9.60. It's $10. There's actually a bounce in that early on, obviously only 20 minutes. So we'll keep an eye on that. But these stocks have been clobbered, obviously, in the last few days. Uh, the overall, the market wants to go up, believe it or not, despite this humanitarian tragedy that is occurring in the, uh, in, uh, in, in the Ukraine. The S&P 500 bottomed uh, on Wednesday and essentially higher highs and just about higher lows at this uh, higher lows at this point. We're 220 points off of the lows that we hit last Wednesday here. Uh, I hope you all watch Mike Worth this morning on, on Chevron because this trend that we're seeing, this oceans of cash coming back to corporate America, it's not just confined to Chevron. We're hearing it day after day after day with company after company making announcements. Chevron raised their buyback uh, rather dramatically. Kohl's doubled their dividend and added to their buyback, $3 billion. Wendy's has got a $100 million buyback, they announced. Hostess is a $150 million buyback. You get the idea? Oceans of cash, either in dividends or buybacks, in some cases like Chevron uh, reducing debt uh, as well. As far as what's going on, I know we're all going to be fixed on the president's speech tonight, and we should be, but for the markets, it's going to be Powell on Wednesday testifying in the House that really matters. I've heard this word threading the needle 50 times in the last week, but he's got to address the potential for slower growth, 
partly due to the Ukraine uh, crisis versus inflation. The market has come to believe that there will be fewer rate hikes than they thought a few weeks ago in 2022. This may be a fantasy or may market can levitate itself into believing things sometimes that aren't necessarily happened. But that's what it wants to believe right now. Uh, and of course, we have seen the story so far in 2022. The story for stocks, slower earnings growth and multiple compression. Now, whether this multiple compression continues or not is going to be very much dependent on Mr. Powell and what he says in the next few weeks. But it has been a notable. And if you take a look at some what's been happening, some of the really big names, I don't mean Kathy Woodstocks. I mean some of the really big names uh, in the last couple of months. Take a look at uh, Starbucks, 3M, Home Depot, Nike, Goldman Sachs. The, the, these is not speculative tech. These stocks are significantly a quarter off of their 52-week highs, and most of the damage occurred in January when everyone was trying to figure out the Fed's policy path. So it's not since the Ukraine. Yes, since the Ukraine has been damaged, but a lot of it has been trying to figure out the Fed's policy path, which is why I keep insisting Powell is the key story for the markets this week. Keep an eye on all that. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you very much, uh, Bob Pisani. You're going to have a lot of numbers oh, to play with God. tonight. Yeah, I've got Salesforce, which is going to be amazing because if that backs up, if it's a work day, then people are going to say, maybe we've got to go back to Cloud Dominoes. We've got to find out what's going on. Coach Hara, you know, it's a small oil company, this merger of Capital Oil and Gas, uh, you know, with an, another company that Simrex that I thought was really good. The thing that really matters is Mike Worth. Mike Worth is a titan, and he is talking about trying to change this industry. David, you are also talking to Exxon, trying to change this industry. David, I'm going to put it to you. For real or window dressing? Uh, you mean their efforts in terms of reducing carbon? I think it's for real, but I also think that they need to be part of a dialogue. And you heard it from Mr. Worth, which is basically saying this is going to take a while. We need more incentives. We need governments around uh, yes. the world to cooperate with each other in a way that makes it much more likely that we're willing to put even more capital into this. And even then, the challenges for carbon capture, they are significant, not unsurmountable, but significant right. in terms of the pipeline systems, in terms of where you have to do it. Direct air capture is not something that really works right now, certainly not at a, any price that would be worth pursuing it. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we did not get to talk to him about the impact of high gas on the consumer. Uh, it was JPM earlier in the week said they looked at the excess savings households have, $2.6 trillion, enough to cover a 50% surge in oil and gas wow. for years to come. And yet I, I do believe that there were some interesting announcements yesterday from GM, the autonomous car person. It's really terrific out there. But you keep hearing electric, electric, electric. That is a way to be able to avoid this whole thing. It sure is. You can't imagine it doesn't help sales. Don't you think? Yeah. $4. Never think $4 about $4 gas prices again. Right. right. Yeah. Although, where's your electricity grid coming from? Because if it's coming from coal, know, you're well, not really helping not the planet. Allowed, but, David, don't uncover that. We're not allowed to look at that. Okay. Baseline, by the way, it's almost all natural gas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jim, we'll see you tonight. It had to be a killjoy. But remember, it's really bare for you anyway. You're bad for the environment. Your footprint's gigantic. You know what else is? What? Nuclear war. I speaks the truth. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.